Hey, get in here. Hey, you. No, get in our room. Yeah, you, come here. Come on, come on, come in. Come on, get in our room. Welcome to another week of Get In Our Room. She's Kristen. And that's Bobby. And we are super excited to announce that we have our first roommate joining us today. Writer of over 40 contemporary and fantasy romances, gifting the world with angsty and bold females drawn to dark corners of hearts, new worlds with forms of magic and blessed power that leave you doe-eyed for the sun and fire, plots to beat the odds and come out on top, we welcome Lucinda Dark. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We're really, really excited to have you. I'm really excited to be here. So we have a few questions and for our listeners, we're going to break this show up into uh, two sections. The first section is going to be just kind of getting to know Lucinda as a writer and how her process works. And then we're going to dive into her new book, Crown of Blood and Glass. So you started writing in grad school. Um, How did you find the time? Um, So, well, I actually started writing like well before grad school. I've been writing for like 10 plus years, but I started publishing like my very first semester of grad school. And then of course it just snowballed from there and I started writing more and more and publishing more and more. Um, Very good question is how I found the time. I say I did not sleep. Sleep was not a thing. Um, I was a full-time grad student and also a full-time um, like grad assistant, and that's how I like. Cause, um, my school paid for me go- to go back to school, um, so I was working for the university as well as writing on the side. And yeah, there was just no sleep, none whatsoever. Oh my gosh! So you said you've been writing for ten years. What inspired you to start writing all those years ago? Um, honestly, I think it was, it was one particular book. I, I'm trying to remember the author's name. I remember the name of the book, but the, I know it's the author that wrote Ella Enchanted. Um, she also wrote another novel, I think called The Sisters of, um, Bamar, I think it's called. It's like a, it's a middle school aged book. Um, and it was like the very first book that I read that really like elicited like a really strong emotion and that wasn't like forced upon me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when you have to read school and you don't really care for it. But it was like a gift from a teacher. She gave all of her kids in her like social studies class or history class, um, a, she had a huge box of books and she everybody like got to select one and I picked that one up. Um, for Christmas and I read it and I just bawled my eyes out through the entire ending and I was like I want to make other people feel this Um, and so that's when I started writing my own stories that's other people must feel my pain (laughs) pretty much (laughs) well we're glad you did we're glad I'm glad (laughs) I'm glad you're enjoying it (laughs) so we are really curious about the co-writing process. So when, you know, you have over 40 books published, what leads you to choose to partner with other authors? And is there a criteria that you have to do so? Um. So, I mean, yes and no. Like, I don't really think of it in terms of like, is there like a criteria? Do they have to meet this specific standard? Um, 
it's just if we get along very well, um, if we can work out like our differences, if we can manage to work together well, because I have had co-authorships that just, you know, did not work out at all because there was a, you know, personality discrepancy or just like a, a barrier unwilling to like, you know, compromise and negotiate because with any partnership, like it is like a negotiation slash compromise, like there are going to be things that I'm not either wanting to do but I have to like figure out a way to like get used to or accept and the same for is true for my partners um so but there's no like I don't really like consider people like I know some co-authors or I know some partnerships like you have to have a good audience and then I have to have a good audience and then we have a good audience together um I I don't really like do that because I know my co-author Rebecca she is like she's one of my closest friends honestly and that's how we ended up just co-authoring together because we really love each other and we've each read each other's books and we enjoyed it so we were of course because we're both writers and we both publish books we just started talking story ideas and spitballing and then all of a sudden she's like what if this and I'm like what if this and then boom a book was made (laughs) so um accident but not really an accident um but I have had other co-authors, and I'm still, like, really, really good friends with most of my co-authors. We've considered writing together again. Um, it just depends on, like, schedule, publishing schedule, um, marketing tactics, time, family, personal things, um, and things like that. So um, with me and Rebecca, it's we're very opposite in terms of writing. But And that's why I think it took us longer. So we've been writing Crown of Blood and Glass for about five months or so. And that's actually a really long time for me. Um, I'm a very fast writer, but both of us had to kind of get used to each other and like how we write, not necessarily what we write, but just like the the process for each of us, because the process for each writer is different. Like for example, I'm, I'm a very fast writer, but at the same time, I'm a very prolific writer in that, or prosy writer. Like I, I write large and long. Um, I usually in edits have to go back and cut out things and she's the exact opposite in that she has to usually go back and add a lot. So she's a short writer, gets straight to the point, um, then goes back and adds and edits. So we had to like, because we're so opposite, like we had to really work through that. But now that we've got our groove, we're seeming to go through the second book a lot faster. Good. Um, When you guys are co-writing... Um, especially for you and Rebecca Gray. Um, for Blood and Glass, do you guys like mesh ideas or did you each write a character and then kind of go from there? Or... So with I me guess, and... Further um, into your process. <laughs> you're welcome to ask me anything about my process. Um, so with me and Rebecca specifically, um, both of us had a hand in every single chapter. Um, so we've heard a lot of people say that uh, it reads like one person wrote it and not like a like a duo of authors. Um, and that's because like we both had a hand. Every single piece of that book we had a hand in, which is not always the case um, because I do have another fantasy co-author, Helen, and she and I, we swapped chapters back and forth. That's, how, that's exactly how we did it. But with me and Rebecca, like she would write like a really short chapter and I would go through and I would expand it and it would end up literally double the size. Um, and then she would go through my long, like extremely long chapters and she would cut out the unnecessary bits. Um, and then it would be a more generally average size chapter instead of super long and overwritten. 
Um, but character-wise, no, we we both wrote each character. Um, I will say we both have our favorite characters. Um, so hers is Argyle. Like, Argyle is a side character, mm -hmm. and she's in love with him. That's her baby. Um, did <laughs> we both write him? him? Yes. That's her favorite. That is her favorite. Yeah, I like the... Um the touch of the eyes about his eyes. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Um, Bobby and I had talked a little bit trying to figure out who, if you guys wrote different chapters, because, yeah, we both agreed that it, it didn't read as though somebody wrote each character. It, it read as, as if it was one author, really. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, you guys achieved... If that was your goal, I'm not sure, but you achieved it wonderfully. So uh, kudos to both of you. Good to know. <laughs> so shifting a little bit, perhaps away from your latest release, but I've started to read some of your other materials and you have some pretty heavy topics and themes in some of your books. And we we're kind of curious about what drives you to write some of these scenes of assault and abuse at the level of detail that you choose to do so. Trauma. Um, no, but yes, but uh, I um, I just, that's, that's a, I mean, I do have like, I have my own childhood trauma, but nothing, nothing as bad as what I put my um, characters through, I don't think. And what I do is like, I really like tension and I really like obstacles and I really like strong characters and unfortunately a little bit it's you have to force your characters to go through horrible things in order to make them strong or give mm -hmm. them a reason to be strong um and it's it's gonna sound really shitty as an author or awful or as like a because technically I guess I could consider myself like a parent of my characters but like I'm doing it on purpose because I want them to be better people I want them to be stronger people um and then also it's it's more interesting that way it's, sure. it sounds awful but like it like if everything was happy-go-lucky and like nothing was a problem like I wouldn't be as interested in my own characters in my own book yeah I think you know, I don't, I think you have to, you're trying to put depth to your character and having them go through real life things, one, makes the character tangible to your reader mm -hmm. and two, makes them feel more realistic, which I think will incite more emotion during the reading process. So I can Absolutely. totally understand where you're coming from with your reasoning as to why you choose to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, because we all have uh, generational childhood drama. Like, let's be real. <laughs> yes, we do. I mean, like, and also, too, like, I, like, I find that it's easier to connect with someone or to connect with a character who has a trauma or who has, like, some sort of obstacle they need to overcome. And I don't want, like, I want people who think that they're invisible to feel like they're seen, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the times those who have trauma, those who have like had these horrible things happen to them, they they don't talk about it. Or even if they do talk about it, they only talk about it in their inner circle or they talk about it to their therapist. And it's like every day as they're going about their life, like nobody sees them and thinks, oh, yeah, that person has been through this horrible experience. Like they're so strong for being here. But in books... The reader can see that and the reader can see that even when they're doing like average daily normal things you know what i mean like they're still there and they're still fighting through whatever they've experienced and i think that's really important i think also to put on paper so 
I think that was really yeah. beautifully put. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, that's really opened my eyes to a lot of different characters of yours and other authors that I've read of, yeah, all, yeah. <laughs> you. So since you have written so many books over the years, um, what what is like your top three books like your top three maybe you could cat you could categorize that however you want but your top three books perhaps like your top three sold books the best-selling books um i think i would say a sick boys obviously like pretty much all of the top selling books are sick boys um but i'm gonna divide it up but so Sick Boys is really, really big. And then Iris Boys, when it originally came out, was really, really big. And that is a, it's an RH. Iris Boys is an RH. It's got dark themes, but it, the romance is not dark. Um, so Iris Boys, Sick Boys. And then I don't know if, um, I'm trying to, I don't know what the third one is. Like what would be the third best selling? I wonder if it's not Barbie. So I have a urban fantasy romance slash paranormal romance. It's called Barbie the Vampire Hunter. Yep. I think that might be the third one. Okay. So out of all of these books, and this might be very, very hard. <laughs> Actually, it probably is very <laughs> hard. Um, is your favorite character in one of those books and series? Or is your what is your favorite character? Oh my goodness, you're asking me to choose my favorite character of my characters? That You're right, that is hard. Um, Jesus. Uh, After she claimed to be their parents, and now you're asking her to pick a favorite. <laughs> I, I have a favorite book, but I don't have a favorite. Like, character-wise, it's hard. Um, you could say your favorite book. That's really fine. This is your Well, show. my favorite book is not the best-selling book. My favorite book is, like, one that's, like, a personal, like, really, really personal to me like wrote it out of my own trauma kind of deal, which I feel like every author has that one. Mm -hmm. The one we did that's kind of like off the rails, that's like really meaningful to us. I know Raven has, Raven Kennedy has The Girl Who Cries Colors. Um, and I know that one's like really important to her. And I have one like that too. It's called Expression It. And it's like a standalone, mm -hmm. um, very angsty, uh, very like suicide awareness, uh, it's like a dark romance in a different kind of way. It's more like angsty than it is dark. Um, definitely has the whole jealous, possessive hero thing. Force proximity, neighbors, kind of like aspiring musician. Um, yeah, so that's the one that's my favorite book. But character-wise, I feel like a lot of my girls have ended up being a similar character. Um, like Barbie is very, very similar to Avalon. Obviously, they're different in different ways. Um, their traumas make them act different ways, but uh, I like the strong female characters. I like the ones that kind of like fight back and they're always who I wish I was, you know what I mean? Mm, totally. That's why I read, because I'm like, I wish I was as badass as these bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, as you continue to grow and change as a writer, do you ever look back and like either cringe at some of your early books or do you wish you could go back and rewrite any of your early books? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Tate and I have talked about this because she, I know she's like, 
I don't know if she's embarrassed by her very, very first, like, book series, the Kit Davenport series. We've talked about it because she and I published, like, around two or three weeks, like, within the same, like, month as each other. Like, originally, our date, we were debut authors together. And, um... I hate my very first series. I hate it so much that I actually took it down. It's no longer available for sale, and I am planning on rewriting it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had readers who say they loved it, and I'm like, mm -mm, nope, it's awful. I hate it so much. I think the story idea is solid. Solid, interesting story idea. The execution was poor and will be addressed. Always, you know. I always wonder that with, with authors, if they ever look back or if it's always like a... Or if you just have so many ideas that you're like, I can't even go back to that. I got to keep going forward. I mean, I do have so many ideas. <laughs> so I don't know when it'll happen because I'll probably really focus on more like future stuff for now. But like, it's not it's not for sale anymore. And that makes me a little bit better because I want... Because I'm, I'm scared that readers will pick that up and that'll be the very first thing they read from me and I don't want that because I have so much better work now I want you to actually enjoy it and like this is what you can expect don't expect that that is not me anymore um, that's actually a perfect segue into my next question of which book would you like people out of all of your books to pick up first um well that's really okay so when people ask me that, um, especially at signings, they ask me, like, which book should I start with? <clears throat> I always, like, preface the answer with, what do you like? Because I always, I have something for everybody. And I know, I'm very, I feel like I, I try to be very, very objective about my own work. So I know what's good, what's okay, and what's fabulous. So um, if they like, like, taboo romance, I say go with Poison Paradise. If they like series, I say go with um, Sick Boys. It's one of my favorite series. It's I wrote it through a time when I was having a really hard time. I love it. But if they like fantasy, and, like, I literally, I really, I have something for everybody. I've got spicy fantasy. I've got slower burn fantasy. Um, everything I write will have romance in it because I just, I am a romance author at heart, and that's what I enjoy to read, too. Um, but I mean, I even have dystopian and I mean, like, who has that these days? <laughs> Mostly trad authors. I feel like I don't feel like there are a whole lot of like indie authors that do dystopian, but I do have a dystopian series that I really, really like it's, and I, I argue that it's very, very good writing. Um, I, it's just not very popular, so I have not finished it. I've only got three out of five books out. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just, yeah, it just depends though on what, the reader likes because I literally have something for each individual reader. So I think all writers have some form of writer's block at some point or another. Do you have any creative or quirky ways to overcome your writer's block? Um, I don't know about creative or quirky. I try not to think about why I'm in writer's block because I feel like that puts me in a hole and I get stuck there. And then it's really hard to get out of the writer's block. 
So in order to like get out of it, I just try to consume as much media as possible. I mean, I try to I try to read as much as I can. I'm a really big fan of webtoons, and I'm a really big fan of like, webtoons, anime, manga. That's my shit. Um, I will consume it like daily. Every time I I get up in the morning, I wake up, I check my webtoons app, and I'm like, what's new? Is there a new chapter upload? And I will lay in bed before I do anything else and read a webtoon chapter before I get up. So I literally, I just try to consume everything in my path. I'm like a devourer. I'll read books. I'll reread. I'll watch new movies. I'll watch new TV shows, new animes. Like, I do not care what it is. If it's interesting to me, I will try it. And if I don't like it, if I get halfway through it, I will put it down so fast. I'm like, I do not have time to be wasting on something I don't want to watch or read. Yeah, your uh, dog's name and your bio on your webpage kind of give you away. So I was like, hmm, Yeah. I think I dig that. <laughs> well, okay, technically, he's not actually named after anything in a webtoon or um, or mm. anime. What's he named after? He's named after a character in a book that I read. <laughs> that's not, that's another indie author's book. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jex Lane, um, but she's actually part of the reason why I decided to indie publish. And her story and why she indie published because I was one of her like arc readers um, when she did her she debuted like back in 2016 2017 something like that um, and uh, she and I became friends and she has a character like a nine-tailed fox in her which it's funny story is like her series is not normally one I would pick up it is it is like a bisexual gay romance two guys um he does sleep with like women too but like it's a very i don't even know, even know how to explain it it's it's high high fantasy elements high high fantasy elements in the modern world um and at that point i was not reading that um and i picked it up and i don't know what it is about her writing style but i really really enjoyed it fell in love with the characters fell in love with her and she had a nine-tailed fox who was a side character and my dog looks like a fox to me. So I was like, I'm going to name him after the nine-tailed fox. <laughs> That's funny because um, like in, in Japanese folklore, I don't know. I've, I haven't heard of the author and I'm not sure what books, but there is um, nine-tailed fox. And one of my favorite series is actually a, a Julie Kagawa series. And it's the shadow of the fox and there's a nine tail fox because the more tails the more powerful that entity is yeah. so that's really funny that you mentioned that and i think it's really cute that that's why your dog is named hiro so if you want to see more content like this be sure to hit the like button subscribe and click the bell to be notified every time we upload it really helps us out we're going to go ahead and pivot to book specific questions now because um, we do have a little bit of a time limit and I want to make sure that we're covering um, some of the thoughts and questions that I have about um, the new book. So, and my first right. one, my first one isn't really a question. It's more of a, a statement about the prologue. <laughs> and I was like, I read it and then I finished the book and I was like, is this freaking prologue in the next fucking book? Because I need more of this. And why are you leaving me hanging like this? The prologue was more of a cliffhanger than the freaking cliffhanger at the end of the book. <laughs> you said that was more of a statement, so I don't have to respond to that, do I? <laughs> I, 
guess not, because you got me there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love I love that prologue. I love they're called. So I learned this back when I was writing uh, Sick Boys, but um, taking a scene from later in the series and or book. Um, and putting it in like as a prologue, it's called an in media res, and I I have found that I love doing that because I feel like some of the best scenes are obviously much much later in like series or books, um, and I want readers to be captured by the best scene possible. Well, you fucking so, like, got me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I was immediately like, I finished the first book and I immediately was like, I know she's starting to talk about the second one. When the hell is it coming out? (laughs) Right now we have it scheduled for November, but Rebecca and I are really, really hoping to push it up. We just, we kind of push it out as far as possible just to leave us some room for like editing because I'm a perfectionist and we like go heavy on the edits. Um, especially we kind of have to with two authors um, writing together to make sure it is very cohesive. Um, but we're really, really hoping to pull it up and publish it at least like a month early. Um, but it's just easier to publish it early than it is to push it back if we need to push it back. Yeah, I yeah, I could see I'm not a writer or an author, but I could see how more time is the probably a, a saving grace in some cases. I um, promise there will be advice in book two, though. <laughs> yeah, that was like that was the one thing because I went on your IG page and you know you have like the partial reveal of the cover ready, and then you have um saying like some blurbs about it, and I was like, oh well, there's sex four times. That's gonna be good. <laughs> <clears throat> so, another question is that it's been two years since you've written fantasy and now you've come out with crown of blood or i'm sorry crown of blood and glass and i'm just kind of curious what inspired you to write this and start the awakened fate series after two years um well honestly like i i started in fantasy um i actually only had one pen name lucy smoke was actually originally a fantasy author my very first series was in fantasy And then my second series was contemporary and I didn't really understand the whole marketing thing and like, like why having two pen names would be easier for readers because it's like they expect something when they look at a name. And um, so I, I had to end up like I was like an hour, like not an hour, I was like a year and a half into my career and I realized like why my fantasy wasn't selling very well, but my contemporary was. And it's because people were coming to expect contemporary from me and not necessarily fantasy. So that's why I split the name. Um, but I have always really enjoyed fantasy novels. I've always really enjoyed, like, I mean, I, I literally don't care what I read as long as it has romance in it. I will read anything and everything as long as it has romance in it. But, I mean, I was raised with a dad who likes Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, and I, I like that stuff myself, so... Um, I genuinely could not imagine just never writing fantasy ever again. And I have, like, fantasy ideas, like, that I I have a list of fantasy ideas. And I always, they're always, like, percolating in the back of my head. And then I was talking to my friend Rebecca, and she's a fantasy author through and through. She doesn't really like to write contemporary. She doesn't really, she reads it, but not really often. She's, like, 99% fantasy-based. Um, and then it just spiraled from there. And I was like, you know what? I do miss fantasy quite a lot. And I, I want to write something for me right now. So 
I have like another fantasy series planned that's a solo fantasy series, but I didn't want that to be my first reintroduction into the fantasy world. So I did a, that's why we're doing the co-write because this is my almost like reintroduction into the fantasy world because I haven't wrote, written it in so long. And then once this series is finished, I will have that um, other fantasy series ready to go. I look forward to it. It'll be much spicier than the slow burn, I promise. <laughs> I think Bobby enjoys a slow burn. I, I do. I'm not, I'm not a slow burn individual. <laughs> I like the tension. I do too. My favorite author, she writes like books worth of slow burn. Like in her series, it's just like book after book after book. Then they finally kiss book after book after book. And then like, oh my God. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally all about the chase. So I found like trilogies are my sweet spot. So like it can't be too slow burn because I can't do like a 10 book series with slow burn. It just, I can't do it. So yeah, I cannot either. <laughs> yeah. Kristen's book recommendations to me are like one chapter in here we are so i'm like oh okay <laughs> to be fair my books are very very long though so my version of slow burn is like if they go the entire like book one without having sex then i'm like okay that's slow burn yes if they did you know the other things that's i still consider it slow burn <laughs> yeah um a quick question about your characters one can you teach me the proper way to pronounce Devonry? Devenry? Devonry? Devonry. Um, and a follow-up to that is, how do you feel when people mispronounce your character names? <laughs> um, I honestly, I don't mind, especially if it's something like in fantasy or if it's, if I think it might be a little confusing, like if you read it and not hear it. I did have, there was only one time when I was like, how... How do you not know how to pronounce that? There was only one time, and it was actually a narrator. And I was like, oh. how How do you not know how to? So I have a series called Sky City Series, and that's the um, dystopian. And I, I recommend it to fantasy people, too, because it's got the world-building aspects. But like each, there's like cities floating in the sky, and the city that she lives in is called Tartarus. And, I mean, we all took the Greek... Like, we all had, like, that Greek mythology lesson in, like, high school and middle school, right? I, I thought so. So I thought, like, everybody knows how to pronounce Tartarus. And the way the audiobook pronouncer, like, or the audio narrator, like, tried to say it, I was like, that is in no way, shape, or form how you say that word. And I was so confused. I was like, what? You're American. Everybody had that lesson, right? Everybody did. But, like, I mean, I try not to judge people for it, but I was just like, how do you not? Because he was like, Tartarus. I was like, Tartarus? There's, there's, there's no accent on anything. But he just, like, had, like, a hard emphasis, and I was so confused. That's the only time it's ever happened where I've been like, why? <laughs> What's happening right now? Why? What, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't mind or care. I mean, like, I I have said words so weird and so wrong in so many different ways. I continue to because I read so much. And sometimes when you read a book or you read a word more than you ever speak it, like, you just have a pronunciation in your head, even if that's not correct, you will continue to say it. Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm from the Midwest. Really? 
And <laughs> I say, I make up sounds for vowels depending on what consonant comes before or after them. So sometimes I just, people are like, can you say that again, Bobby? And then they pick on me for how I say a lot of things. It's a running joke with a lot of my friends. The opposite. I'm the opposite in that, like, my dad's from the Midwest and his family makes fun of me when I say y'all. <laughs> I have family from the South, so I grew up visiting them during the summer, so I will never make fun of you for that, Lucinda. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I got you, girl. Um, <laughs> so I had a question because I think when I was reading and based on some of the research I did about you and your writing, um, you have very subtle notes throughout your books about certain topics. Like, um, I know you're pretty into mythology. Uh, so in Crown of Blood and Glass, you're, you're building this world, but there are some themes about gods and goddesses. So my question that I have here, is there symbolism in the talent that Devonry has around archery, and if there is, are we going to learn more about it in the next book? Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily symbolism, but there is symbolism in the abilities that she has. Um, I archery is just like so. The reason why Rebecca and I went with archery is because, and I assume that you've read the book, so you understand like her background with her parents and her mother being mm -hmm. a saint. Yep. Um, and her mother being a pacifist and not really liking violence Correct. or approving of violence at all. Um, it's harder for her because of her connection with her um, late mother to want to or to even consider getting up close and personal with violence. So archery gives her that distance that she needs in order to still be able to like protect herself, um, find a weapon that she can use and like something that she can do um, that she feels powerful in um, without getting up close and personal with the violence that it actually like causes. Um, and so, like, it w it made more sense because if somebody had gone, her like, it, we try really, really hard as authors to make sure that the actions of our characters make sense and that it were not, you know, veering completely off characterization. Because somebody who's been taught their entire lives not to um, be violent, not to appreciate, vi like, not to, like, no violence whatsoever, um wouldn't immediately like turn to violence the first second they could you know? um so really it's more like a gradual thing for her to get used to the idea of picking up a weapon and of changing her entire outlook on the world um because she has to because she's been forced to um so that's the symbolism there it's not necessarily related to the gods but her abilities when she awakens will be related to the gods Perfect. I'm very excited to find out more about her abilities. Um, I have a little, I have some theories there, but I'm probably wrong. <laughs> so I can't wait to learn more. You're probably not. I feel like it's very obvious, but I can never tell. Yeah, I don't want to like do too many. I don't want to do spoilers because, you know, it is such a new release. I want to give people the opportunity to uh, 
go read the damn book. So um, I get pretty micro fixated on stuff. And one of the one of the things in the book that I got micro fixated on, and I don't know if it was you were meant to kind of like side eye the situation, but I kind of want to know what the hell's up with this crow that keeps showing up. And I was like, I'm like, I hope we find out more about what this crow is and why this crow keeps showing up in book two. And I also want to know why the fuck Lord Frederick pets the damn thing. Like, comes to the glass, he opens it, and then he's like petting it. And I was like, because my imagery of Lord Frederick is kind of more light and airy. And so like for him to have this dark crow that's like his buddy, when in the first time that we meet it in the woods, I think it has more to do with bad guy. And now he shows up with Lord Frederick and I'm like, hmm, what are you doing to me, man? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't give you like the actual answer because spoilers, but um, <laughs> I will say I will say this. There are certain gods that are friends and mm. the noble houses are related to gods. So that's that's all I have to say. Wow. That's uh, quite the quite the cliffhanger there too. Yeah, <laughs> it's acceptable though. I knew this. Hopefully, was gonna... you'll <laughs> read book two, finish the series, and maybe you'll figure it out. Oh no, I will. <laughs> um, you'll see me in your DMs later, going the damn crow. <laughs> 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 so, um. Going back to uh, highlight kind of your interest in mythology, were there any stories that helped inspired, I pronounce it as uh, Rosentine, I hope that's correct or close? Um, we call it Rosentine, but Rosentine. We, I don't mind. See, I yeah. told you, Midwestern, all those vowels change sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, with gods, and, with the gods and goddesses. Um. Well, so was the question, like, did we, were we inspired by any, like, actual gods and goddesses and mythologies? Correct. Um, yes and no. I think in terms of, like, developing, like, the looks of the gods, maybe. But overall, we really, like, wanted to create, like, a world of gods that was very, very different from anything that we know. And we don't have, like, nearly as many gods as, like, mythologies and pantheons do. Like, it's very, very limited to how many gods there actually are. And there are mostly, I mean, like, the gods don't really have children. The humans are their children. So there's no, like, I mean, there is, like, a king or, a, well, technically a queen goddess um, of Rosentine because she's, like, considered, like, the creator of Rosentine or, like, the, the founder of Rosentine. Um, and then, of course, there are the founders of each house, and the founders of each house are, like, is a god, and those are, like, that's the extent of the gods. So, like, it's a very small pantheon um, that we really tried hard to take inspiration from, but, like, really build our own and not, like, steal too much. Yeah, that's kind of why I asked. Interesting. Go ahead, Kristen, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a lag on my end, but um, that's a super interesting way to go about it because a lot of fantasy writers, you know, they, I don't want to say steal from Greek mythology, but mimic a lot of it, right? So it's it's a very, it's a very bold and strong move to, uh, to create brand new, all your own on the God side. 
Well, I'm a big fan of like gods and goddesses. I I I I love like mythologies. I love pantheons. Like when I was in grad school, I really considered um, doing a thesis like on pantheons because it does seem like um, most of the pantheons you will find of like I mean different gods um, like Romans and Greek and then Norse. They all like almost are mirror images of each other um, in some way, shape, or form. So uh, I really love gods and mythology completely but yeah i mean like sometimes i would like because like for my 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 last dark romance release it was an icarus retelling so i really took a lot um <laughs> and but for this one yeah no we really like try to veer away and like just develop our own yeah that's why i asked the question because i thought it was very unique structure to the world and like how it was built and how it came about and how all the houses were like founded so to speak and um i've actually i started um the first book of yours that i read it was actually uh, burn with me so knowing that like and some of the background with that it made me going into this read um pretty curious to see what you're going to do with with your fantasy side yeah Okay, so I have another weird, weird one. Um, I'm always curious because, like, to elicit emotion and and get your reader to like really fall into your story and into your world or the scene that you're building, everyone uses scents. Like, every character has a scent, right? So you're trying to get that that other tease for them. What inspires you to create the sense for your characters? And I'm I'm like, why does Dev smell like flower petals drifting down river? Like, what was there something that inspired that? Um. So yes and no. Like, keep in mind that she's a princess, so like she has never really been dirty a day in her life until like everything that happens happens. She's never had to really sweat or. Um, you know, get down in the dirt, run through the forest barefoot. She's never really had or desired to do any of that. Before the events of the book happen, she's always been very, very much staying in the palace, um, very rarely, if ever, travels outside of the palace into the Sanctus City, which is the capital city that the palace is located in. Um, so she, like, it's it's i feel like when we when we try to create fantasy a lot of fantasy does come from um medieval almost like ideals and like uh fashions and things like that so for this we like she like when she bathes like one way that people in the medieval times like would set like you know give their baths like scents would they would tear up flowers and roses and put them like in water um, and I knew they don't, in medieval times, they did not bathe nearly as much as we do, which is gross in my opinion, but that's, you know, hygiene for you, you know? Um, so we didn't really want to be like, oh yeah, she's only bathing like once a month or anything like that. No, but like, cause she, but she like, she's very clean and, or before everything that happens. So it's really like more like that. And then the other sense for the other characters is really like, I mean, you don't want, like, your love interest to smell like garbage, you know? 
and it is a romance. So, like, we romanticize everything. I can assure you, I'm sure they don't smell amazing when they're running through the forest, but you can't say that. Truth. Lots of truth there. I know. I like that little detail where you're like, even after days of being in the forest, Solomon still smells like soap. <laughs> Listen, okay, we're romanticizing everything. Okay, so spend the disbelief here for me. He has to I did. I did. I, I believed it, man. I believed after days. And <laughs> Good. That's part of the awakened abilities is to... Not yes, saying. that's exactly what <laughs> You maintain your scent. <laughs> no, I love it. I always think it's it's funny because you're you're reading to escape. You're reading to be in these fantasy worlds and, and subject yourself as like that ten thousand foot view of all these scenes that you're creating in your mind from the words and and I think grabbing all those different sense like senses. Uh, is good. It's very good. And I think it also draws draws you back down. So like during that scene that Kristen just brought up, like it brings you back there in a really precarious situation and like it brings you back to reminding you that like shit's happening, it's chaotic, but the underlying theme of like romance and devotion and stuff like that. So I think it's really important to have those fun little blurbs on there. I do. I love it too. Yeah. Good. I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> so I love I love those little off those little off details, right? Like Bobby said, all that chaos is going on and all she thinks is like, Oh, he still smells like soap. <laughs> I think it also we can't control our own minds. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. So Later in the book, um, there's an introductory of a character, and it's Celine, right? Celine, Celine. I'm always nervous because in my head I say stuff and it's no big deal, but when you say it out loud, it can sound stupid. So, no, no. <laughs> so Celine, um, and I want to mention that I think the timing of her introduction was really perfect for the storyline. Like, I really, really wanted. Um, devs to have a friend so mm -hmm. I like the addition of her and I'm kind of curious um, if you would be willing to give us a sneak peek if she's kind of going to get her own arc um, in the story in some form um, I would say yes um, Celine is going to I don't so me and Rebecca debated heavily on whether or not we wanted to do you know multiple POVs with other characters um, and the other characters that would have gotten a POV would be Celine and Argyle um, so I don't think we're going to end up doing that because if we did we would have done it in book one we've started it in book one but I will say from the characters POVs that we have which is um, Devon Rhee and Solomon um, they will see like a little arc happening with Celine as well. Cool, that's great. I look forward to that friendship um, a lot. Actually, I was like, "Fuck yeah, we got a girlfriend. Let's do this. Let's fuck shit up." Everybody needs <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm also the they're like I'm not gonna go into details, but like the final scene that's happening in this book, there's so much action happening there and i'm a big like action person like 
And I'm just really curious if we're going to get more of that in the coming books. Um, more action, like more fighting? Yes. Mm, I, you'll have more action, but it's not, it's in book two, we, it's hard to say if it'll be fighting. I think it's more like running and um, searching and finding and seeking and um, tension and maybe like a, like a fight between characters, like a like a fight between Devonry and Solomon, um, but not necessarily that until book three. Like you'll, there'll be more action like that in book three for sure. Um, so that is my answer. Cool. I think. <laughs> is that is good enough for me so okay yeah i think the search to like build on the story i understand like there's a, a necessity for like some element of mystery to be introduced and um built off of to because right now the motives for what's happening in the story from like the bad guy's perspective aren't very clear so I think having a mystery of how they're going to overcome that is cool. Yeah. Awesome. So we don't have any more questions for you, but we wanted to give you a little bit of time to shout out anybody or anything that you wanted to um, before we ended the show. Um, well, I guess shout out to my co-author in that case. Like, please read her books. Please, like, read our book. Um, we loved writing it together, and we're really proud of it. It's, like, a very thick book. It's the biggest book either of us have ever written. It is, back officially, is, like, 500 pages. So we're really proud of that. Um, and shout out to you, too. Thank you oh, so much thanks. for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I And I would like to mention that um, I'm introduced to Rebecca Gray from this work and I immediately went and like looked up her books and added them to my TBR list because I enjoyed reading this book and it was so well written and like we said in the beginning you could not tell different tones of voice and I was like that means that I'm probably gonna love all the other books too so I hope so, I hope so. yeah so I really look forward to reading some of her her standalone stuff that she's done by herself um Quite a bit. And she has some really beautiful covers. Like She does. She does. She's really big into really nice covers, and I love them. We have a very similar um, taste when it comes to covers. Perfect. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Get in Our Room. Uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation on other social media outlets. You can find all of Lucinda's handles for instagram tiktok her website her bio it's all going to be in the uh the show notes uh in the description box so make sure to check her out make sure to pick up a copy of crown of blood and glass and read it and give some love to rebecca as well thank you so much thank you